morning, Kent Cove. Our text this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. And right now we're going to read through verse 45, and we'll hear a little bit more uh, later. But Luke 1, 39 reads, "At At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. There, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise, promises to her. Please join me in prayer. Bless us this day, O Lord, with vision. May this place be a sacred place, a telling space where heaven and earth meets. Amen. One of the things that is challenging about Christmas for a preacher is that everybody knows the story, right? I mean, we've been telling the same story forever. One of the things I love about Christmas is that everybody knows the story, and as, and I'm reminded every year of the beauty and the wonder and the, the just impossibility of that story. I'm also reminded every year of how the way the Bible is told, the way the Bible tells the coming of Jesus, and even the way the Bible foretells the coming of Jesus, is just this list of unlikely people and places places that shouldn't amount to anything, places that according to the world, to the, you know, the way people understood things were just spots on a map, and sometimes probably not even big enough to be on the map. But those are the places that God chooses and uses to bring about the birth of His Son, to demonstrate His favor on all of humanity. One of the ways we see that in the Gospel of Luke is that Luke's Gospel begins and ends with women. Luke's Gospel begins and ends with women, which may not seem like that big of a deal to us, but in that culture, women would not have been paid attention to. Women were not counted as reliable witnesses. Women were secondary at best. And so that Luke would begin and end his gospel with women is pretty extraordinary. And that Luke would begin his gospel with two questionably pregnant women is even more ludicrous. Right? Two questionably pregnant women. The first, Elizabeth, who is way too old 
to be having babies. Elizabeth, the wife of a poor country priest, Zechariah, which we don't, we're not going to tell Zechariah and Elizabeth's story this year, but it's an amazing one. And, and Elizabeth was, had been waiting for years to have a baby. And finally, when she is past childbearing age, she is pregnant. And we get to hear Elizabeth, we just read Elizabeth's greeting of Mary and the blessing that she gives to Mary and her baby. And there's a reason why the blessing comes from Elizabeth. The blessing comes from Elizabeth because Zechariah has been struck mute because he didn't quite believe the promise. And then there's the questionably pregnant Mary, the even more questionably pregnant Mary. Young, unwed mother who is, finds herself pregnant, who has been visited by the angel, and uh, we'll come back to that in a minute. And then jumping ahead to the end of the Gospel of Luke, if you look, and we're not going to spend any time there this morning, but if you look in chapters 23 and 24, the way the story is told, um, it's the women, and that's the literal, the way the story has it, or the way the text has it, the women come to the tomb first. The women wait for Jesus. It is the women who stay with Jesus all through His passion and crucifixion and then go to tend his body and discover the resurrection. And so Luke bookends his gospel with, this, with these improbable witnesses. Two questionably pregnant women and then the women that stayed with him through the end. But the phrase that jumped out at me this year as I looked at this text was the way this text begins. Those simple three words in verse 39. At that time, Mary went. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Now, a couple things. That phrase grabbed me, at that time. Well, at what time? At that time when Mary has now discovered that she is to bear the Christ child. At that time when Mary discovered that she's pregnant but she's not quite married yet. At that time when she is no doubt beginning to catch the notice of the tongue-wagging people in her village because of all of those facts. At that time. Mary goes. Now, and the way it, the text reads is that it seems like, well, at that time, Mary went from Kent to Covington, right? At that time, Mary went from Kent to Renton. It's just a walk, a couple blocks, no big deal. We're talking about a journey of 60 to 70 miles, probably on foot and pregnant. This is an amazing journey and an amazing commitment to go to see Elizabeth and her child. At that time, Mary 
goes. Oh, and also, at that time, Mary finds herself in a wider context. Mary finds herself in the context of a nation that is being oppressed, occupied by one of the most brutal empires that has ever existed, Rome. At that time, Mary goes on this journey. At that time, Mary believes the promise. At that time, Elizabeth welcomes her. Then we come to verses 44 and 45, and Elizabeth describes Mary as blessed. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Blessed is she. Elizabeth, as I mentioned, gives the blessing that the priest Zechariah cannot because he's been struck mute. The blessing that comes in the midst of all of these circumstances. Circumstances that it would be reasonable for anyone to doubt. You know, it would be really easy if we wanted to, to spend some time and beat up on Zechariah for his foolishness, for his unwillingness to see, for his stupidity, for all of those things. And yet, if we put ourselves in the midst of the story, in the midst of all of the tension, all of the unknown pieces, all of the different elements that give more than enough reason for a reasonable person to not trust, to not believe the promises. Zechariah is mute, and the women see and trust and have faith in the promise. The Holy Spirit, it says, comes on Elizabeth and the baby in her womb leaps for joy at the presence of Mary and her baby. And we begin to see the birth of the kingdom. But what happens next is interesting. In verses 46 to 55, which most of you would be familiar with. It's a famous passage called the Magnificat that we'll read in just a minute. But Mary speaks in this passage, in this um, song, this poem, about the things that God has done. And Mary speaks of them at that time. Mary speaks of them in the midst of her situation. Mary speaks of them in the midst of the uncertainty of being a not-quite-married pregnant person in the first century, which again is nothing like being a not-wed a not person in our context. Mary has just taken this journey in the midst of her personal situation, which is fraught and very, in some ways, very, uh, she finds herself in very real danger in the midst of the reality of an occupied nation. 
And we begin to see what we would call the now and the not yet of the incarnation of God in Jesus. Mary speaks of these things as if they are done. The past, she uses the past tense. And yet realizing she's speaking that in the midst of a situation that is not yet complete. That baby is not yet born. But she continues to have faith. The other thing to note is that God has come to Mary, but not just Mary recognizes in, to her personally, but to all people. God's favor is about to rest on all of humanity through the child that she carries. God has come to Mary, but also to the wider reality that she finds herself in. And so the salvation that she is about to announce is not just personal. I want you to listen as if for the first time and hear these words from Mary. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. Did you catch the past tense? Did you catch that Mary sees these things as done even though she finds herself in a very not complete situation. Nothing is resolved for Mary at this point. And yet she speaks as if all of these things have come completely to pass. To pass. In other words, she has faith. But did you also notice that it's not just for her? Oh, she mentions herself. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. I'm always astounded at the level of faith that Mary demonstrates here. A young, pregnant, peasant girl 
And in the midst of what has to be incredible uncertainty, she recognizes how good God is and has been to her, even and especially in the midst of that uncertainty. But Mary does not keep it there. Mary knows her Scriptures. She knows the story. And she, at least it seems intuitively, knows the way that God works. Because even as God has been mindful of the humble state of His servant, this peasant girl, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as He promised our ancestors." Mary is echoing Hannah's song here from the Old Testament. Some of the scholars that I read as, as I looked at this passage again suggest that chances are that Mary was perhaps meditating on that song, recognizing in that situation a bit of her own situation as she made that long journey to see Elizabeth, because there are echoes of that song in her song. But the thing that strikes me most is that Mary uh, embodies something here that is easy to miss. Mary embodies the original covenant of God and His people. Going all the way back to the story of Abram, And the promise to Abram. And God says to Abram that I have blessed you so you will be blessed. No, that's not what the text says. God says that He will bless Abraham so that through him all the nations of the world will be blessed. Mary embodies this blessing. She embodies the recognition that while she is uniquely blessed, that blessing only flows through her so that God's favor, as Luke describes it later, may rest on the entire world with the birth of her son. Mary does not allow us to just think of individual salvation. She calls us to recognize that God's kingdom is, has come and is coming and it is going to turn the world Upside down. In verses 49 and 50, Mary focuses on God's power, God's holiness, and His mercy. Mary clearly sees that even at this time where she finds herself. God in His power, holiness, and mercy is at work not only in her personal situation, but in the world 
itself. That in the birth of this child, God is beginning to set all things right. Friends, I wonder if the message for us in Mary and Elizabeth is their faith and trust that God's favor, God's love was upon them. Actually, let me rephrase that. I don't wonder at all. I see it. The witness of these two questionably pregnant women is their faith and trust that God's love, God's favor is resting upon them and that even in the midst of that time, even at that time in the midst of uncertainty, they see God beginning to turn things around. Joy is resting in the truth that God's favor and love are present in the coming of Jesus. So friends, we come this morning in the midst of all kinds of different experiences of life. Some of us come in the midst of grief, in the midst of disease, in the midst of uh, uncertainty, in the midst of disunity, And this story proclaims to us that at this time, at this time, God's favor rests on you in Jesus. At this time, God is with you in the midst of your uncertain situation. At this time, God is with us in the midst of the most disunity that most of us have ever experienced in our lives. At this time, as we mourn the death of friends, we rest in the certainty of God's love. That love is not reliant on our busyness. It is not reliant on our morality. It is not reliant on how we behave. It is not reliant on whether or not we believe the right things in our heads. It's not reliant on anything except the fact That in this child, God's favor rests on all people. Circumstances cannot take it, for it is promised in the promised one who has come and who is coming again. Amen.